Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Craft Beer and Data. My name is Nick Piet, Chief Evangelist here at Talon. I'm Mark Balkanini, Director of Technical Product Marketing at Talon. And it's, uh, we know it's been a while, it's been about a month since we put one of these things together, but we had a really great event at Talon Connect. Yep. Um, and so we're kind of getting back on the road. We're on the, what now, fourth city of the uh, Thinking While Drinking Tour. I thought um, that wasn't sanctioned. Sorry, the TWD. Yeah. Okay. Right, I'm going to continue. Hashtag, hashtag TWD. Hashtag TWD. That's my next T-shirt. All right, exactly. Creation. <laughs> um, so last time you saw us, we were in Nashville at New Heights Brewery. This time we are here in St. Louis. Sunny, humid St. Louis. <laughs> at Urban Chestnut Brewery. Right, it's a great place. Um, it's been fun kind of walking around here. Massive facility. Huge. Uh, yeah. Uh, great place to go for a beer. So I'm not sure they still qualify as a microbrewery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but we're going to go a little OG uh, this week. Um, we uh, unfortunately weren't able to get a brewer this time, so we're going to just dive right into the technologies. Absolutely. And, um, the fun stuff anyway, right? Yeah, exactly. So what... Let's, let's hit some of the buzzwords of the last couple months. You, you, um, you do the buzzwords. Right. Uh, microservices, containerization, and serverless. I think it'll be a good episode. It was really some of the, the highly watched and viewed sessions we had from Talon Connect. Yes. So clearly there's a lot of uh, interest in the subject, so why don't we kick it off? Um, yeah, the fun part, uh, we yeah. had one of our keynote speakers was Steve Sign from the CEO of Docker and he's on the talent board. So yep. he was up with our CEO Mike Tukin talking about uh, containerization and and uh, you know what he feels is careful. I know, right? It's, it's not it's, knock us off the stools here. It's made of wood, real sturdy. <laughs> that is not your chair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worried about the beers, Nick. I'm worried about uh, us. Uh, uh, but Steve was telling you know. He was talking, had a lot of great uh, insights around containerization and microservices, mm -hmm. and you know, told a little story about how you know container, you know, the whole concepts around containers, and I really liked how he talked about uh, shipping yeah, in the shipping early days, stuff. where you know everything was all different sizes and and uh, wouldn't fit on trucks, and you couldn't stack them on the ships and. And, and when containers, when they came up with those containers that you see on the big, massive ships that go overseas, it really revolutionized yeah. shipping and, and, and across the board because not only could you start, you know, put more stuff on ships coming across the oceans, but you could then take that exact container off the ship, put it on a, on a truck or on a train, and it would fit everything everywhere. Yeah. And, and you really commoditized shipping at that point and became much cheaper for things from you know making shipping more global. And that really is, you know, the basis, you know, the, the same concept or the same thought process is what what's behind contain yeah. containers and containerization, uh, which then leads to serverless, which we'll talk about, which isn't really serverless. Yeah, which is a bit of a There really is a server back there. there. It's not <laughs> the fine print. It's yeah, exactly. dust running. No, sprinkle. Something. You're going you're gonna to do the, the salt hand? No, mm. Mark, we don't do that on the show. Um, oh. No, so you hit it dead on. It's interesting to kind of talk about that from a... You know, look how organizations are taking advantage of this. And, and really, one of the big questions that kind of came out of this is, look, you know, yes, containers sound like a great way of, of trying to work with new ways of deploying these technologies. But that doesn't necessarily mean, like, what I have today, I can just roll over and put it in a container and, hey, the world's saved, right? Um, and it leads really into that kind of that first topic of, of microservices. What is it? What is it? How, how does it... 
what do I need to do with it? How do I actually deploy it? Like, you know, it, it's fun as we've been kind of going through this. And, and really, when we look at uh, microservices, we kind of look at it more of like an architectural design, right? Where you had these monolithic applications in the past, and either through a maintenance or trying to create upgrades, you start to realize that over time, as the application grows organically, the time it takes to actually try to update or, or keep this thing going is just, it's not feasible from an economic standpoint. And so we have to kind of look at how can we break these things down into kind of more consumable parts. It's, it's kind of interesting. We were talking with one of our customers who had gone through this journey of this decomposition, if you will, of their existing application. And the best way I can kind of relate it is just like taking an old car engine, breaking it apart, tying it all together with tubes, and then getting it to run again. Right? In, right, in doing so in a way that's, that's more cost effective than just putting it back together in this big application and running it. Um, and so you know, it breaks up into a couple pieces um, you know, in how you want to decompose these applications. Uh, the two main pieces I've seen when we're doing the research is kind of what they're calling noun-based or, or verb-based verb -based decomposition. Um, and it's really fascinating to see just how and why uh, enterprises are breaking their applications into those kind of pieces. Once they've kind of identified the architectural requirements, they've built the applications, that's where we can start talking about like containers and really like either containers as a service or some of these functions as a service that we're seeing a lot come up too. Right. And a lot of the a lot of the architectural patterns that you're seeing in this microservice environment is very similar to uh, if you know the old SOA patterns or practices mm -hmm. and and you know breaking your applications up into services as an architecture. So it's it's really a lot of the same patterns just being implemented in a, in a slightly different yeah. way that um, becomes more agnostic of the environment in which those services are running. They're, the microservices are more self-contained, I believe. And, yep. and uh, is maybe the way you want to say it, maybe not the right way. It's <laughs> the way I'm saying it after a beer or two. <laughs> um, uh, and I am in training for a, a race, That's so true. Nick will most likely outdrink me today because I'm not drinking heavily. This is why we can't do a, a big, a <laughs> big my disclaimer. Chug. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. So, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 looking at uh, something that we've been trying to solve. I think in the software and application space for a long time, uh, and, and there's a lot of things that I think SOA didn't really deliver mm -hmm. uh, that that the microservices uh, trend, or however you want to call it, it really is. Is addressing, like you said, so it's um, it's taking that noun and the verb and really breaking them down into microservices yeah. into a server, a very small service that can really stand on its own, run on its own, um, nonstop uh, in an environment which may be a container, right, or it may be you know some type of OSGI or some type of um, other service uh, container that's wrapped around it, but. It literally stands on its own. It can run yeah, independently. Yeah. If other services go down around it, it doesn't hurt it. So you can continually upgrade your applications and do things like that. So. Yeah, well, and it, it speaks to kind of that mindset of how do I decompose an application into something that actually makes sense. And so the best way that I could relate to it when I was doing the research, when we look at noun-based or verb-based decompositions, the easiest one is probably the verb-based, right? write a sentence with that? Or? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, think about it. Like, the action, right? So, yes, yes. Like, I, I'm joking. Yeah. Well, you so, know, it's, it's an English grammar joke. Never mind. Go. <laughs> yeah, over your head. Sorry, bud. Go back to your noun and verbs. Yeah, it's true. Are there um, adjectives? or? There's some proper nouns, <laughs> um, and we'll get into what that looks like. No. <laughs> 
So I mean, when you when you think about it in terms of the the action, like the maybe like get ID or right. go check, like a basic check, um, in the way that we can wrap those even the tiniest services into a function as a service, which could be deployed on like AWS Lambda or Microsoft or Google's equivalent when it comes to those quick function runnables, um, and then you have the more I'd say traditional longer running processes that are going to be more noun based. And those are likely going to be well, the ones that are actually connecting to message queues, like Kafka or JMS. Whereas verb-based applications are probably most interacted through a REST API or something like that. So finding ways of, of really optimizing the application between those two layers to take advantage of, as we've been talking about, containers and then functions. So you know, where this gets kind of interesting is when we, we apply this serverless component to it as well. So what do you mean by server? There's no servers running? Right, no, there's, it's, it's black magic, people. Um, <laughs> you pray to the machine god, and then you get the result. That's how it works, right? You just put it in the cloud, man. Just put it in the cloud. No, <laughs> it's all um, in the cloud. It's all in, no, there's no the, servers up there. Right, and it's, it, of course servers are still there, right? I mean, oh, it's, it's, so there's a point of failure there? It's just not, not your concern that it fails? <laughs> yeah, it's not, no, I mean, is, it, that, is that the point, or uh, serverless? No, I mean, I think as we look at it, kind of, and this is one of those probably more frequently used marketing buzzwords, but generally when I'm we, in marketing, I was so my, yeah, oh. that's why we can make fun of ourselves because we're part of that whole process. No, um, <laughs> it's like uh, we've come to the dark side. No, um, so when I look at serverless, I kind of look at the the decoupling of rather when you were building applications in the past, you really had to take real concern with regards to like operating system, or th th was that updated, do I have the right patches in place, do I have the right software in place, all those things that at the end of the day, especially when this is really supposed to help support DevOps, which is, you know, 2018 shadow IT. Um, God. <laughs> oh, that's another, another buzzword. That's another good story in itself. Anyway. Um, is, you know, look, I want to develop code, right? And I want to be able to deploy this in a managed, scalable fashion. I don't necessarily care to understand the operating system at the level of detail that I likely need. So you don't care if it's uh, CentOS or... Right. Or even AWS's version of Linux or... Yeah, I mean, you know... Ubuntu or... Windows. Yep, or Windows, Windows right? Windows. I don't want to yeah. deal with that. So but it's, it's the idea What version that, of Windows? Probably <laughs> XP was my favorite. <laughs> um, yeah, I was alive back then, man. I, I saw was, XP. Oh, that's amazing. I know, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just really this ability to, to not only not have to worry necessarily about the operating system, but really to recognize the economic shift that's occurring with regards to how these things are run. So as we are talking about some of those functions as a service, and even some containers that might be um, the half-life of them, how long they're going to run is very short. The ability to, to really scale on demand and, and really price out in seconds. So, so let's talk about that scale on demand, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's always been, there's a crack there, don't worry. I know, right? Yeah, that's, um, that's always been one of the things that, uh, you know, the whole, you know, enterprise service bus and serve, you know, services in general has always kind of been this you know utopia of, of scaling but it's always been kind of hard because you've been tied to uh, the ESBs of the world yeah or just the ESB the, the buses and the infrastructure that you've deployed in runtime so the cool thing about this serverless and microservices movement serverless, serverless yeah uh, has really been all about the ability to scale on on the cloud infrastructures meaning mm -hmm. I have a service that 
Um, you know, maybe it's get customer as an example. Yep. It just gets uh, some basic customer information. It may call several other services. And on a regular day, it's, it's you know, may, maybe five or six instances of that service can handle my load. Yep. But if I put a campaign, marketing campaign out, or maybe it's, you know, Black Friday, the biggest shopping day of the year, and people are mm -hmm. hammering on my website, uh, you know, you would have to go back to whoever your ESB vendor is and say, hey, I need to double my run times to handle all this stuff and more, you know, pay my compute time versus, hey, I'm going to put this out in one of these container services environment and as I need more, it's going to auto scale for me. I can just bring up yeah. more of these services and handle my workload as much as I need. Right? Yeah, I mean, and you mentioned Lambda and being able to, you know, have functions in place and say, hey, my, you know, my, you know, the number of volume calls coming coming in is through the roof. Right. Uh, and you, as the, you know, customer of this environment, you don't really have to do much of anything. It's going to have the computing processing time to handle that, right? Absolutely. Well, and, it, and that's, that's the dream. It that's is. utopia. Well, and it, what, it speaks to something that's very interesting from an economic standpoint. In the past, when purchasing software in general, I was limited by having to purchase for max capacity. And as we've seen with a number of our customers, and many of you are probably dealing with on a regular basis, max capacity is a worst case scenario. It's right. not something that you're going to hit. 90. It's Black Friday if you're in retail. Yeah, right? exactly. Right? But you have to have it. Whereas this, this transition to be more elastically scalable, um, I, can, I can start working on demand. It's the right? definition of elastic. Exactly. Um, it, it's just, but I mean, again, because of the way that it's it's priced out, I I don't have to buy ten or fifteen really expensive servers. Right. Right. It's it's crazy. Um, so that's one huge benefit that yeah that you can achieve in this type of world. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's you know what we were talking with um, a customer of ours that recently, as part of their process, it, it's it's funny you mentioned the Black Friday e-commerce <laughs> platform because it's exactly what they did. Um, and it was in an attempt to better personalize the experience on their website, um, seeing if the person that was on their website had already been classified in a particular category. And those, excuse me, those checks could be done in milliseconds. I don't need a long running process to do that. No. It's, you know, if you look at how they decompose their application, at least three fourths of, of the process they put in place we're just easy functions. Easy functions. Just bam, bam, bam. And then you know, leave the more complex work when you actually have to do it. So it's really fascinating to see how customers, and really enterprises as a whole, are taking advantage of now microservices that define the architecture, containerization for more of the long-running processes, functions as a service to really set some of those immediate tasks in place to, to really just disrupt data economics as a whole. So, uh, so containerization is uh, a whole other you know, interesting topic in itself, right? Mm -hmm. So with containers, uh, do we just take our monolithic application and shove it in a container and run it out on uh, you know, Kubernetes or something out there on one of the cloud? Is that, is that I mean, what you mean by containerization? No, I mean, to be fair. Is plenty, that what you're talking about? Plenty of people will do that. And, then, and this is and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, you might have sent some sarcasm I, there. But. I really enjoy the old wind-up clocks I have at home, the grandfather clock that I've had. They have a cuckoo clock? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, every time. Boop, boop. My parents still have them. Yeah, but I mean, everyone loves nostalgia. No. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> what I mean by this is that, yeah, I, I, all joking aside, yes, of course, there are some immediate 
benefits to be able to do that, but some of the cost analysis depends on the application. In our space, um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And the reason for that is, is twofold. I mean, when, when looking at containerization, I think that it really only makes sense when you're as close to native as possible, right? Right, as close to the code as you possibly can be. When you're using um, interpreted languages through a proprietary runtime and things like that, it's really difficult to see a lot of the benefit from those cost savings, largely because you know the container should be as close form fitting as the application as possible. And when you have something that's really traditionally meant to be up 24/7, chances are, from a cost benefit, you're probably better off with an EC2 instance. Right? You're, yeah. just, you're missing that, and, and, and the other side of it is, for the scale that you were talking about, it, it's a whole level of complexity when you have to try to get these applications to try to talk to each other to right. scale out. It just doesn't make sense. However, I, I do see that uh, you know, for some more traditional applications, um, if you want to make your, your platform cloud ready, as yeah. people keep saying, uh, I think you're going to have to figure out a way to break your applications up and deliver yes. in a container type world. Uh, maybe not to the noun or verb level that you were talking about paragraph. before. We'll, we'll go paragraph. Maybe a paragraph level <laughs> or a page level. I want the uh, <laughs> beginning, middle, and end, right? But it really is becoming the way to yeah. deliver software, whether it is a service, a function, or you know, something a microservice, or or if you are taking your application yeah. uh, and putting it into containers. So, but yeah, one of the things I was reading too was you know today it's uh, you know in the world of applications, it's not how many features or functions necessarily you can give your users right. uh, in in a fast fashion, but it's also how many function features you can give your users. Without any downtime. So, yes. You know the days of hey, I'm taking your application down at midnight for an hour to do some maintenance once a week to add more features and functions in. Uh, those days are, are fast behind us, mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that you know I see containerization and, and microservices being a huge value. Absolutely. Uh, for software and, and how we deliver software to our users today is is it does give us that ability to absolutely do that. Yeah, you just be like, we got the nines. How yeah. many nines? How many nines? Doesn't do matter. We got the nines. <laughs> as long uh, as our cloud has nines. Yeah, right. We, we got the, <laughs> as long as the cloud has some nines, we're no, good. It, it, it's, it, absolutely, right? The ability to continuously deploy, manage those update cycles without having to bring the system down is, is imperative, especially when we're talking about, like, I mean, we might joke, but I, and granted, you'd never deploy this right before Black Friday, but you know, yeah. in those in those moments, right, where there is um, extremely important data that's pushing through, you, know, you don't downtime is is just death crucial. Yeah, crucially awful. Yeah, you just brought up the nines, which bring back horrible <laughs> memories of some okay, of my man. past jobs. PTSD. I'm so <laughs> sorry. So sorry. It's actually some of those nines is what drove me into the software business and out <laughs> of IT. And I think those viewers watching in the IT that support some yeah. three, four, maybe five nines, you'll know what I'm talking about. So yeah, absolutely. Five nines. What a nightmare. <laughs> right. That's, uh, I think, defined in seconds for the year of downtime. Yeah. I mean, it's if, I, if I remember right, there's, there's obviously definitions of that. But, but this is where all these things are really coming from. Mm -hmm. and, and it's it's actually funny, you know. I've been listening to how some people define, you know, their five nines for their application, and and uh, somebody was complaining about one of the big cloud vendors. I'm not going to name any names, uh, 
in case they're watching, but uh, the, the, Hi guys. The, the comment was, <laughs> uh, the, the, the services weren't down, they were up, you just couldn't reach them because the network was down. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> does, does that classify as being up? I don't know. So. Yeah, it's always funny how people kind of play with those numbers and stuff, but uh, yeah, but it is it is you know in reality that's where a lot of the containerization and microservices and all these aspects are coming into play. And you know, yes, there are servers behind serverless and right, and but you're dealing on on cloud platforms like Amazon and Microsoft and Google that have endless you know not endless but a huge amount Massive of server compute, yeah. compute powers. So if they lose a server, there's many more to come. Now, right? so. we, we, we do have to bring up, and I know if we don't say this, Ed Ost um, will probably kill us. But there, we, we've joked call, in the past. Calling that, out, man. Calling out Ed. Now, in, in the, uh, so Ed, now I'll know if you watch this or not, because he'll, he'll well, ping now. me later. Yeah. If you think about it, though, we have talked about, in general, the development practices for microservices using containers or functions as a service. You don't necessarily need to care so much about the operating system. It does change the focus to be to take advantage of some of these things, and we'll talk about how in a second. We will. Yes, we will. I've got a full beer. I know. Oh. I, I'm, I'm trying. You know, we got to yeah. fill content. I'm slowing down. You're actually keeping up this time since I slowed down. <laughs> you know, you wait, man. You wait. Um, no. So <laughs> as I was talking about, while you don't necessarily need to care so much about the operating system in this new world, where such even in containers, you can have. Um, these dynamic spot instances where you, know, you can rent essentially at my at minute's time, I think it's about a two minute timeout before they take it away from you. There is a new architectural design pattern they have to think about, which is a failover state, right? Yeah. If I'm going to take really stretch the limit of how inexpensive I can make this process, and I really want to take advantage of those spot instances, there is some thought process behind you know, how do you build a fault tolerant, resilient application that can handle failure. And that's something that we're really starting to work with our customers on. Really excited to see what potential that has, um, both from it, the application as well as some of the complementary technologies. Which, you know, you, you, when you talk about spot instances on AWS, mm -hmm. so those are uh, instances that AWS has and nobody's using them. Right. So you can get them at a much more reduced cost, but the the price of that, of that cheaper instance, is they can pull that away from you instantly, right? So, yeah. So if you were to start deploying on that type of model, one of the interesting things that, that made me think immediately of our newest partner, mm -hmm. Kubel, yeah. who does um, provide Spark environments, uh, and, and, in your, and they do a lot of the configuration and management of your Spark environment, and now Talent works with that. But if you think about it, and what they, allow you to do is say, hey, I want 75% of my Spark cluster to be on spot instances. That's a huge savings yeah. over a regular instance. So if you think about that um, model, that's great because you save money. The other cool thing, if you think about how Spark and how Hadoop and, and HDFS and, and everything that works underneath the background of Spark and and the you know multi redundancy across nodes. If you lose a cluster, a node in your cluster, you really don't lose anything. Right. Maybe a little bit of performance, but at the end of the day, uh, you know Qwell will handle another spot node coming up. Uh, it'll replicate the data because that's what Spark and, and Hadoop does, and it just automatically takes over. So that's maybe have go. a little bit of performance degradation if you lose a spot instance here or there. But at the end of the day. 
it's a huge cost savings, a great model, a, a, a great you know tool that takes advantage of not only the architecture of Spark and Hadoop, right. but also the cost savings of what Amazon provides in say their spot instances. So very cool architecture, very cool platform. Uh, Kubel and now we're working. You know, yeah, our really excited to work with them. Work on on Kubel now, so it's very cool. Yeah, no, Exciting. I mean, and you, you brought up a really good point: is that everything we've been talking about, you know, might be construed as just general application integration, like how you're building your basic apps. But a lot of the concepts that we've been talking about will definitely, as we see, uh, are very applicable even in the big data space. So yeah, very so good point. What, what actually brought that up was the fault tolerant, right? It's just you know, Spark and Hadoop and that platform is fault tolerant, right? It's it's mm -hmm. built on redundancy across nodes, so you automatically have um, have that like, built in. So it tastes like toothpaste. Sorry, but you're right. Yes, <laughs> sorry, toothpaste. It just Threw me for not, not Nick's favorite, apparently. Not, not my favorite. So, all right. So, we've talked about microservices. We've talked about containers. We've talked about servers. We've talked about its applicability in both like traditional applications as well as big data processing. Um, I mean, I think we've got a, a well-encompassing episode with regards to some of these concepts. Uh, if there are more questions you guys have, obviously our YouTube, our Facebook page, great places to reach out to us. If there's topics that you're interested in, we're always looking for more. And you know, I know our talent sales team has been providing a couple, like the last one we did on blockchain, there were some questions about that. So feel free to reach out to us. Um, again, my name is Nick. I'm Mark. Thank you for another episode of Craft Beer and Data. Cheers. You finally got it, man. I got it. <laughs>